Somebody better hold my mule. I'm fixing to shout. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm supposed to follow that. <laughs> well, turn, if you would, to the sixth chapter of the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua on Sunday mornings, and uh, I know we'll be there again next Sunday, Easter. I don't know. God hadn't said what to do yet, but... Uh, I, in 46 years of ministry, I preached about every resurrection message I know. If y'all don't know anything about the resurrection, let me know and I'll fill you in. Uh, so I, but I don't know, whatever God says, do. But next Sunday, we'll be in Joshua chapter 7, and then we'll go from there. Let me just remind you a little bit about Joshua as we've gone through this book. Remember that Canaan land is not heaven. A lot of songs depict it that way. And... Uh, there's that check I was looking for, babe. I tried to give my offer and couldn't find my check. That's how the devil will do you. Some of y'all really needed to give an offering and, and you hid that check, didn't you? Canaan land uh, cannot be heaven because there's battles in Canaan land. They had to conquer. Uh, when we get to heaven, we're not going to have to conquer anything. Everything's already prepared for us. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Uh, Canaan land is a spirit-filled life of victory. And I believe it's what the Lord wants every believer to be living right now today. Uh, if you believe that, now listen to me, if you believe that the, the, the only thing you've got to look forward to is a heaven in the sky by and by, you're going to end up living a mediocre life here on this earth. Now, let me tell you something. Listen closely. When you got saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you became heir to everything that God has to offer. To every promise God has, you became heir to it. You don't have to wait to heaven. It's already here now. You can stand on the promises of God right now. That's important to us. Yet we still have an adversary to fight with. In fact, we've got three of them, the world, the flesh, and the devil. As you look at chapter 6, this is the first of many military uh, battles that they're going to be facing. They're going forth, they're planning, they're preparing, they're fighting to obtain whatever belongs to them. And it's important truths that we read here this morning if we want to live in victory. Now, if you don't want to live in victory, you don't have to pay attention to anything I say this morning. You can just still keep doing what you're doing. But I'm telling you, God didn't die on Calvary for you to get by. We're more than conquerors. We're not just winners. We're more than conquerors. It's what the Word of God says. Chapter 6, beginning verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. We'll not read the whole chapter because I've got 15 pages of notes. So you'll just have to refer back to it, all right? Serious. <laughs> Brother Allen told me Wednesday night, he, I preached, a, uh, well, a good sermon, I think. Had a good outline. Started everything with a P. And when I got through, he said, you can add one more in there. Well, I, I added it in here this morning, Brother Allen. Uh, but you can't add but three. All a Baptist preacher can do is three points. Because nobody will listen more than three points. There's 32 sub-points, but there's three points. <laughs> Verse 1 says, Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. 
And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, go around about the city once. This shall ye do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall flat down, and the people shall ascend up, every man straight before him. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of this word. You promised it will not become void. God, we sense the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place this morning. And I ask you to hide each one of us. Don't let the flesh get in the way. Don't let our minds get in the way. Don't let the devil have anything to do with our thought pattern or process. But I claim the name of Jesus through the blood of Jesus that every word that's heard would honor and glorify you and that decisions would be made that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I know you've heard that story of that young pastor that went to that new church and the first Sunday he was there, he had great aspirations. They didn't have anybody doing the junior Sunday school boys class. And so junior high class. And so he said, well, I'll do it. So he went in there. He thought he'd kind of break the ice. He said, uh, look, uh, who in here can tell me who knocked down the walls of Jericho? Those little boys begin to scratch their head. They rub their cheek. They ooh, eyes got big, and 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 the pastor was just beside himself that junior high boys in his church did not know who took down the walls of Jericho. So he he left. He said, "Excuse me, just a minute, boy." He went out in the hallway, and there was a head deacon. He said, "Brother deacon, I got a problem." He said, I went in there and those boys, junior high boys, I asked them who knocked down the walls of Jericho and they didn't know. That deacon looked at him and he said, I've known them boys since they were born. I've known their families. And if they said they didn't do it, they didn't do it. <laughs> now, <laughs> a lot of people don't know what happened at Jericho. And some think, as we learned last week, some think they marched seven times. They didn't march seven times. They marched 13 times. They marched once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, they marched seven times there. But I think more, uh, even greater problem than that is when you say, who fought the battle? Because, see, we got it all geared up. Joshua with the battle of Jericho. You know, I, I came up in the 70s. I wanted to find a a rake. See, guys, in the 70s, orange shag carpet. Everybody had a rake, amen? You had a rake that you raked that car. Anybody got a rake here? I'm not with you, but you, you got one. I, I, we need to show these young people what a rake is when you rake that carpet. See, we blessed you because we got shorter carpet, so you just have to rake the leaves now, and you don't have to rake the carpet. But in the 70s, you, I mean, things could crawl in that carpet, and you wouldn't even see them. You, you had to rake that carpet. I'm talking about the days of orange shag carpet and avocado toilets. Amen? Can I get a witness? Amen? Boy, those were the days, guys. <laughs> 
Those were the days. And, and, and we heard the inspirations back there sing a song. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Let me tell you something this morning. Joshua was never intended to be the hero of this story. Joshua is an actor in the big scheme of things. The one who fought the battle was the Lord God Jehovah. That's who fought this battle. Now, let me just share with you some things here quickly. Number one, the city was unbeatable without an almighty God. It was unbeatable. Verses 1 and 2 say they shut the city up, but none went out, none came in. The Lord said, Joshua, I've given you the hand of Jericho, the king, and the mighty men of valor. There's two reasons here. Uh, the, the city, had the Lord not been with them, they would have not conquered Jericho. There is no way in the world. Now, there's, there's a reason for that, two reasons. Number one, they had enormous walls. Jericho, now here's the thing, Jericho seemed unbeatable because of what the city looked like. What the city looked like. Stay with me now. Those first set of walls there were six foot wide, deep, and 20 foot tall. And then there was a 15-yard space in between, a little courtyard where soldiers marched up and down uh, and uh, monitored. And then the next set of walls were 12 feet wide and 30 feet tall. You're not going to get in there. It looked impossible. And the problems we face, let me tell you this morning, some of them are going to be unbeatable unless God is with us. There's only four men out of, I don't know, a million, million and a half. Different people have different ideas how many Israelites there were. Minimum of a million. And out of that one million, there's only four men who've ever even seen walls. Caleb and Joshua saw them 40 years ago when they went in with the group. And now Joshua had sent two spies in, and he met with Rahab, remember? And she hit him on the roof. And, and so there's two more spies that have gone in. There's four people out of that whole nation of Israel that's ever even seen a wall like that. To the human eye, it looks unbeatable. It looks invincible. It looks unsurmountable. But listen, we're not walking with the human sight. We're walking by faith. And if we're going to defeat the devil, we're going to have to live by faith. Satan specializes in causing us to fear that which he's put in front of us. He causes things to look bigger than what they really are. And, and, and literally, Joshua's already been given a command. He said, don't fear, don't be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for I'm going to be with you. You don't have to be afraid of what you see. You don't have to be afraid of what you hear. He said, I'm going to be with you. Now he's camped outside of Jericho, ready to do battle. After 40 years, we're finally going in today. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with us today? Well, I'm going to tell you, the, the devil will make you think your problem is bigger than it is. You listen to me. That mountain you think so big, it's probably not as big as you think it is. That valley you think is so low and so deep, it's probably not as big and deep as you think it is. That river, it's not as wide. That wall, it's not as thick. You see, you've got to learn to look at things through God's eyes and not through man's eyes. The devil makes things look bigger than what they really are. I heard about that farmer that went to a restaurant, and he asked the 
cafe owner there. He said, would you like to buy a million frog legs? He said, well, no, man, I, I couldn't sell that many. They'd ruin. They'd go bad. But he said, I tell you what, I would take a good deal on a hundred set. And so about three days later, the farmer came back in there and he had two sets of frog legs. The guy said, hey, I thought you said you had a million set of frog legs. He said, well, to be honest with you, the truth of the matter is I never went out there in the field and counted them. I just sat on the back porch and listened to them. <laughs> and you listen to me. The devil's got a way of letting you hear things that are much, seem much bigger than what they are. He will continually discourage you. If, if the worst thing happens, and statistics show that it, the worst thing doesn't happen very many times, but say the worst thing does happen. Could I remind you that Jesus is still on his throne? And that if you are blood-washed believers saved by the blood of the Lamb, you all right. That financial problem, it's probably not as big as you think it is. That child in rebellion, you think they're gone? They're, they're, they, they, they've not gone as far as you think they've gone. They may be out of your reach, but they're not out of your prayer's reach. And they're not out of the hand of the Lord's reach. He can still reach them. The devil makes us. I, I've come to tell you today that you may be facing a wall that is unbeatable in the flesh, but when you get Almighty God involved in it, He'll win it for you. He'll do that. Well, the city looked unbeatable because of what it looked like. And then I'll tell you, the city looked unbeatable because of what it was like. Let me tell you, uh, uh, this is no shadow box here at Jericho. It, statistics show it's probably about eight acres. That's not very big. But it was the most powerful city in the region. It's not by some puppet show or something or dictator that they're running this thing, kangaroo court. It's a great city. I couldn't help but thinking about this as I was, I got up early this morning to try to finish up this and cut it down and all I ended up doing was make it longer but but I couldn't help but thinking about old David going after Goliath let me tell you something Goliath didn't just look big and strong he was big and strong he was you remember when David goes out there he gets all mad and frustrated he said I told him to send the best soldier they had and here they come sending some runt kid out here David said, well, you have your day. You come with a sword and a spear, but I want to tell you, I come in the name of the Lord. And before the day's over, I'm going to cut your head off, and you're going to lay out here and rot with the buzzards. You say, preacher, why do you think he cut his head off? I'll tell you what I think. You can't prove it's not. And I'm the one preaching, so you can just listen for a minute. <laughs> I think old David looked at Goliath and said, you know, the only thing I can haul off him here from him is his head. <laughs> so I think I'll just take his head as a trophy back to the house. The Bible says he, he slung that slingshot, stone killed him. He went over there, took the sword out of Goliath's sheath and cut his head off and took the head back. Wow, 
I, I thought about Daniel in them lion's dens. Let me tell you something. Them lions, they didn't just look like man-eating lions. They were man-eating lions. They'd eaten many prophets already. But old Daniel's got the idea if they've already eaten everybody else, they ought to be full and they ought to be stuffy with a pillow so I can just lay down in there all night long. That's what he did. How about them three Hebrew children in the furnace? Heated that thing up. Hotter than it had ever been before. People were dying, putting them in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar didn't just look like a king who'd put them in there. He was a king who could do what they did. They even admitted that. They even said, listen, king, God may not deliver us. But I want to tell you something. We still ain't going to bow down to you. And he threw them in there. And the king said, whoa, didn't we throw three of them in there? It looks like there's four of them in there now. One looks like the Son of God. Oh, listen to me. There used to be a song when I was, I was singing in college. It says, got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do what no other God can do. I want to tell you this morning, you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He promised them he was going to be with them. And I want to tell you, Jericho was unbeatable without God. And some of your walls you're trying to cross over, the bottom line is you've been clawing and scratching and trying to do it in the flesh. And all along God said, what you need to do is, is just submit it to me. The plan was un. Beatable without God. <laughs> Jericho was unbeatable. I'm getting ahead of myself, Brother Allen. But secondly, the plan was unbelievable by Jehovah. What a plan. <laughs> it happens in verses 3 through 14. You can read it. It just makes no sense. It boggles the mind. It staggers the imagination. Joshua said, tell you what I want you to do. I want you to get some trumpets together, and you get the priests together, and you march around the city, and then on that seventh day, you're going to march around seven times, and then you let out a shout. And when you let out a shout, everybody begins to praise the Lord and let out a shout. And he said, the walls are going to come tumbling straight down. Joshua's looking at him. Have you got a plan B? You got another plan? I, I, I don't think Joshua said that. You know why? Everybody seems to think that the big thing is crossing the Red Sea, and that is a big thing. When a million, two million Israelites can cross the Red Sea on dry ground, that's big. And then the entire Egyptian army's drowned there, that's even bigger. And then they get manna, and then they get water, and then the Jordan River uh, heaps up on its wall there, and they walk through on that on dry ground. But I tell you what else old Joshua had seen too. Joshua had been in Egypt, and he had seen every one of those seven plagues that God had put on Egypt. And that last one, if you didn't have the blood over the doorpost of your house, your firstborn died. Now, you know, when you're young, you've got all the answers. Nobody just wants to ask you the questions. 
Uh, but for a long time, I was thinking about the firstborn, you know, all the babies died. And that would be just terrible. But the firstborn is the oldest of all of them. There were some firstborn that were probably babies, I'm no doubt. But there were many firstborn who had been married and had babies of their own. So not only was just a, a mother or dad looking at their children and they're dead, but there's some children looking at their parents, some wives looking at their husbands. When God plans for battle for his children, sometimes he gives us some bizarre directions. David going after Goliath with a slingshot. Come on, guys. That doesn't make any sense. Gideon against the Midianites. <laughs> he started out with 32,000 soldiers. God called it down to 300. You say, thanks a lot, God. And then on top of that, he said, what are we going to use? And God said, I'll tell you what your weapons are going to be. You're going to need a tea pitcher. You're going to need a torch and a trumpet. Huh? I'm, hey, the Bible's an exciting book, guys. If you'll look at it and read it, it'll, it'll set you on fire. My favorite, though, probably out of all of them, is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat is shook up because the... the, the uh, uh, Ammonites, not the Amorites, but the Ammonites and the Moabites are going to come together. Either one of their armies could destroy Israel, but they're going to come together and they're going to wipe Israel out. You know what Jehoshaphat did? Jehoshaphat did what a lot of folk ought to be doing right now this morning. He fell on his face before God and he said, God, I don't have a clue what to do. I don't have a clue what to do. And he called them to fasting and praying. And they began to come to the temple and pray. And, and <clears throat> as they finished that prayer meeting, one old brother, Jehaziel, got up. He got a dose of the Holy Ghost. And he said, listen, I've got a little prophecy for y'all. God says we're going to win the battle, but we're not even going to fight. God said just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Jehoshaphat, get, get the army together. This will bless you here now if you're in the choir. You were leading the army. That'll help choir attendance. When you put that choir out there in front, give you all something to do. The choir's in front of the army. And they're singing and praising the Lord. And they get down to the lookout place there. And all they see are thousands of dead soldiers laying around. According to the Word of God, it took them three days to get all the spoils and take it back. That's what our God can do. <laughs> oh, my soul. I'm not, act, I'm not telling you that you need to do crazy things. I'm not telling you that. But sometime, folk, God will just ask you to do things that don't make sense to you. And you need to do them. Let me give you a couple of instances. God may say, stay with that spouse that's been unfaithful to you. And you say, now, wait a minute, preach, that don't make any sense. They have been unfaithful. I don't want to see them. I don't want to look at them. Oh, I hope God don't have that attitude on judgment day for you. 
God may say, stay with them. You say, preacher, that just don't make sense. doesn't have to make sense. God may say, stay on that job even though you don't like it and it's depressing. You may be the only one on that job that knows Jesus. God may have something for you to do. I'm not telling you, you can't throw all of these things in one bag. Don't, don't get me wrong. I know that today there are reasons for divorce. The main reasons for divorce is because men and women have gotten meaner than a snake in the last 50 years. I, I just don't believe Adam and Eve were as mean as men and women today. It requires some things, though, of us. It required dependence on the Word of God. Eight times in verses 3 through 5, God says, you shall or you will do this. And here's the bottom line, the principle. If we're going to walk in victory, we've got to hear and obey the Word of God. Not a lot of people call me for counseling. And, and honestly, I love counseling. I really do. I just have this one hang-up. If you come to me for counseling, now some people need to be counseled for four times, some need six, some need full lifetime. I know that. But if you come to me for counseling, and I can open up the Word of God and show you what the answer is, I expect you to get up and walk out of my office and go do the answer. You didn't want to know the answer, or you wouldn't have come. You wanted somebody to pat you on the back and say, well, I understand what you're going through. No, listen to me. If you don't get anything else here, when a Christian is successful, it's measured by one thing and one thing alone, and that is obedience to God. I'm asking you this morning, are you doing what God wants you to do? If you can answer yes, then praise God. If you can say, no, you know, I really felt like God wanted me to do this, but I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Well, then you're not successful in the eyes of God. Because God doesn't care anything about worldly success. God's interested in your obedience. Find out what the Word says and do it. Joshua crossed over. He circumcised all the men within the shadows of the walls of Jericho. That's not real bright, but that's what God said do. When you do what God says do, you're going to come out ahead. They submitted themselves to the plan of God. You know what, they, you know what they're really saying? They're really saying, God, it would be better if we died by the hand of the sword and be in your will than if we lived and were not in your will. That's what they're saying. In the will of God. And then there's got to be a devotion to the work of God. Hmm. He gets his orders from God. Thank goodness they've got enough faith and courage to do it. Because if they not, if they had not done it, there would be no blessings. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. God had already given them this land. Yeah, he gave it to them, but he gave it to them 40 years ago. They done wandered around until everybody that was there was dead except Joshua and Caleb. God told Moses, remember, to send in 12 spies. 
committees do this today. We've got a, I don't want to get into politics, but we've got an inspector that's chasing every rabbit he can chase because he's not doing what he was asked to do. These 12 people were not asked if they could do it or not. God said, you send these 12 spies over there to develop the best plan to do it. It was never an option with God that they were not going to go. God said, I've already given you the land. Now these other spies have gone in there, and I don't know, uh, you know, back 40 years ago, they went with the majority. Sometimes it's because people fear the unknown. Sometimes it's because of laziness, and sometimes it's because of cost. They said, look, this thing going to cost us too much. Our kids are going to end up getting killed. I told you several weeks ago, I hope you wrote it down. If you didn't do it this week, the cost of obedience will always be high. But the cost of disobedience will always be higher. Your victory, your victory may be on the other side of just one simple act. One simple act. Hmm. The restoration of your home may be on the other side of one simple act. Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. Honey, I'm sorry the way I treated you. Babe, I'm sorry for what I said. But you know what we do? We're in trouble with our families. And then we want to holler at God and say, God, why don't you do something? And I'll tell you what God's saying. I have done something. It's your move now. Just one act of repentance and your home could be restored. I don't tell a whole lot of stories because people think preachers do nothing but lie anyway. But my wife can verify the, this one. I try to tell the ones that she can verify all of them. Now her memory is not as good as mine, but We were having church one night down in, we were in Port Natchez. Two double glass doors at the back. I designed that building. We didn't have any security. I wanted to see who came in the doors. It was 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. Man, God had been moving. The altars were full. And from over on this side, here come this guy. And... You know, I had prayed with him probably 200 times about his son. His son. And I'm thinking he's coming the same thing. We're going to pray about his son, and I'm going to try to encourage him. I'm going to try to build him up. He grabbed me, and he said, I've never been saved. Never been saved. And I had an opportunity to lead him to the Lord, and he sat right down there on that front row. My wife verify this. Nine o'clock that night, in come that son through those double glass doors. He'd been home looking for his daddy and couldn't find him. So he came to the church. They were still there. His daddy just got saved. He had a little alcohol on his breath, but he, you know, he, he was sober enough. When the Lord's in it, you, you can be, you know. But he walked up to me and he said, God told me tonight, if I didn't get saved tonight, I was going to die and go to hell. I'm here to be saved. 
And I said, son, join your daddy right down here. See, when that daddy said, all right, I'm going to be obedient to you, God, suddenly God let everything else come together. He'll do it for you. The city was unbeatable without Jehovah. The plan was unbelievable. But the victory was expected. I mean, when God's on your team, brother, you're going to win. Hey, there's no way you're going to lose. Verses 15 through 19 talks about that. God was on their side. That was the good news. You remember in, in Joshua chapter 5, we looked at it last week. He's out there. Joshua is. He's probably thinking about how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Everybody's asleep at night. And suddenly he hears somebody in the bush and he says, Hark, who goes there? Are you with us or are you with the enemy? He said, neither one. I came to take over. I'm the Lord of the host. It was Jesus in the incarnate. I came to take over. Wow. One, one, one commentary writer said this. He said, God's promise of victory. Now, you old folk will remember this. God's promise of victory could be compared to Babe Ruth pointing his bat at the right field fence. Now, if you don't know who Babe Ruth was, go home and look it up on Wikipedia or whatever that thing is. Old Babe Youth used to get up there and tell where he's going to hit the home run. They'd throw the ball all around. He'd step out there and hit it anyway. But I'm almost through. Just a moment. Let me give you a caution about victory. You see, the time's over with 40-plus years. They've crossed over. They've been around the city. They're getting ready to go the seventh time on the seventh day. And there have been some saying, come on now, come on. Let, let, me, let me do this. Let me do this. And uh, Joshua gets them together. He said, I want to remind you of something. This city is under a ban. Now, not many cities were under a ban because what happened was the army who won would take the spoils home to their home. That was just a normal thing they did. But Joshua said anything that's worth anything, that's gold or silver or bronze or, or anything like that, you bring it to the house of God and put it in the Lord's treasury. Everything else you destroy. You destroy everything else. And of course, we're going to see next week, Achan violated that, and it ended up being a curse on him. It was a curse on the nation Israel. And uh, you, now listen, you better listen to your preacher this morning. I know he's dumb and he's uneducated, but you better listen to me. There's some problems when you're walking in victory. You think there's only problems when you're walking in defeat. That's not true. There are problems when you're walking in victory. For example, you can get the idea that you're stronger than you really are. Joshua said you stay apart as far away as you can from this cursed stuff. It's cursed. Stay away from it. Now, why would Joshua tell them to do that? Because they were just like Joshua. Could I tell you this morning, the only thing that separates you from the biggest town drunk in this whole town is the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not because you're stronger. It's not because you're better. 
God's got mercy and grace. There's some dangers. Get that idea. You begin to covet things, and then you take things. And, and, and then the walls are, are coming down. I'm in the middle of victory. And then we get the idea that last week's victory is good for today. It's not. It's not. It ought to be built upon, but just because you had victory last week don't mean you're going to have victory today. There was an old boy listening there named Achan. And I don't know, maybe because of Joshua was hollering and screaming so loud he tuned him out. Just because you get victory, friend, don't get careless, don't get cold, don't get casual about your walk with Jesus. There are a lot of people that I can count in this very church right here that one day they were saying, walking around, they were saying, let me blow the trumpet, let me blow the trumpet. I want to be the one singing. I want to be the one going. I want to be the one uh, with God. And today they're over in a pile of rubble, useless to the kingdom of God. Don't you think just because you have won victory, there's a lot of folk used to sing in the choir, but their voices have been silenced. There are people that used to teach Sunday school, but you won't find them in Sunday school today. There were others that were greeters at the door, but they're not at the doors anymore. And you get to thinking, I've been walking with God long enough. I don't have to walk in obedience anymore. You're wrong. You're getting a big head. You never have to stop walking in obedience. If you're here this morning, you think, well, I don't want none of that, then don't get none of this. I'm here to tell you that Jesus will walk with you and he'll keep his promises. But I want to tell you, if you think you can come and live any way you want to live, and then God just continually bless you, you're wrong. That's not what the Word of God says. You say, well, I've been blessed. Some of you have been blessed because you got mamas and daddies and grandparents praying all over you all the time. It ain't because of your leadership. Let me give you the second thing I'm through. If you're not careful, you'll begin to think the victory is for you and not for God. Look what the Lord has done for us. The Lord ain't done nothing for us. Everything is to build the kingdom of God and the glory of the Lord. We need to get that straight. God has always required a token of his ownership. Now, this is where some of you are going to quit listening, but that's all right. I'm going to talk anyway. Maybe somebody can get you the CD and play it for you. Why was Jericho under a ban? The reason is because Jericho was the first city that they were going to conquer in the promised land. And God has always required a token. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they said, look, any tree you want to, but this one tree right here you don't touch. It's, it's a token. That's why we give 10%. The Bible says, could I just get real medley here and say it's supposed to be the first fruits? It's not the end. It's not the leftover. It's the first fruits. Why does it have to be the first fruits? Because the first fruits, we recognize that we're giving back to God what's His, but really we're telling the world everything belongs to God. That's what we're doing. Israel were required to pay the first fruits, not because they were paying a bill, 
They were recognizing it. So when God blesses you, I'm not saying give everything away. I'm not saying that. Please don't go and say, well, the preacher just wants us to give everything away. No, I know what it is. He's trying to get that building paid for, and he's trying to pump it. I don't give a rip about what you do. I'm just telling you this. If you want to walk in victory, God didn't make you a prosperous man to just consume everything for yourself. He made you that way so that you could be a blessing to the kingdom of God. That's what he made you. Some of you here, you got a knack for just taking money, you know, and I, I, I won't even take your money. If you're one of those guys like that, I'll give you $1,000 of the church's money. And then you bring back 10000 next week. Some of you got that Midas touch. Your preacher don't have that. <laughs> God gave you influence. You think that influence is so you could get the best girl in high school or the best boy in high school? God gave you that influence so that you could further the kingdom of God. Folks, without Jesus Christ, they don't go to hell number two. They go to hell. We've got to get serious about this. Then they're conquering Jericho, destroyed everything. We got some real problems here. The ox, the sheep, the donkeys, the men, the women, the children. You say, well, I, I understand why he destroyed the men, but why would he destroy the women? I mean, I understand why he would destroy the men and the women, but what about the kids? Why would he destroy them? Now listen to me. Don't, don't misunderstand this. God did not order a wholesale slaughter for an entire city. See, some of y'all think God did that. God said, wipe Jericho out. Wipe Jericho out. God ordered the slaughter of all those except the ones who were saved. See, there's a group over in Rahab's house with a scarlet thread hanging out the window. They're not going to be destroyed. Now, if you, we get real ugly now, but the kids are gone, so we can be ourselves. If you have that mindset, well, those innocent people, you don't understand the gospel. There are no innocent people. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us. There are no innocent people. Sin entered the world. Death spread. There are no innocent people in Jericho. When I listen, there are a few guilty people in Jericho that cried out for mercy. And God will do the same thing for you that he did for those who cried out for mercy in Jericho. He'll save you. That scarlet thread, when they saw it, faced by death. Destroying the guilty was the holiness of God, but saving those by mercy and grace was the love of God. Grace kept me from doing a whole lot. Thank God. Thank God I didn't do everything I thought I ought to do. And you, that may not bother you, but it does me. That's grace. Let me tell you what mercy did. Mercy kept what I did do off the front page of the paper. That's the mercy of God. 
I'll never forget first, my first time going to the bootlegger. <laughs> I never drank, but I went over there to buy it for others. It's <laughs> a long time ago. I walked up on that porch shaking. I'm not lying. Snow Hill. The lady opened that door and said, Aren't you Mr. Lonnie's boy? <laughs> I dropped what I was doing and I left. When you're in a one small, one horse town, you don't get away with a whole lot. Rahab knew they were marching around the city. She'd been listening to them. Rahab, remember she gave the report, we're scared to death of your God. We heard he done wiped out the Egyptian army. We're sitting here scared to death of him. They were more scared of God than the Israelites were. She heard the trumpets. She heard the shout of the people. Her and her family huddled up in that little room of that house. Don't you know she began to think with that red rope hanging out the window there, that scarlet thread. She began to think, I hope those two men took that message back. I hope they'll do what they said they were going to do. They promised me that if I got my family here in this window with the scarlet thread coming out of it there, that we would be saved, we would not be destroyed, and here we are. Man, it looks like total war all around us. And suddenly... There's a knock at the door. Now, she still don't know what's going to happen. They may be coming to take them all to destroy them. But they came, took them by the hand, led them outside the city to a safe place. I can't help but think that old Rahab didn't begin to sing that second verse of To God Be the Glory. I mean, I don't think she did it right there. Maybe she waited till she got off those rocks and all that. But I think somewhere she began to pipe in, oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of God, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. I can't help but think, now you look at me like I'm crazy if you want to, but I tell you, when you think you're dead and there's no way out, and suddenly God shows up and he provides a way out that you couldn't get out otherwise God being there, son, if you don't want to shout about that, I just... I can't say what I was going to say. <laughs> I would almost say, now I didn't mind saying this, I would almost say this. If somebody's not going to be shouting and be excited about what the Lord has done, just leave them over there and let them die. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'll be honest with you. We don't need any more dead people in the church. We need some folk who are excited about Jesus, who will stand up, and say, I don't, I don't care. I know that wall looks big, but I tell you what, God said we could do it, so let's do it. Father, this morning, 
would you speak in your still small voice to those who are closest to destruction? God, there are those in this building today that do not know you as their personal Savior. Oh God, I plead the blood of Jesus over their souls. God, I'd ask you to save them before it's eternally too late. Lord, I know you're going to judge them because that's your righteousness and that's your holiness. But oh God, right now you're offering your mercy. You're saying if you'll come to me, if you'll repent of your sin, if you'll invite me to take over your life, I'll walk with you. I'll sustain you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll stand with you on the day of judgment. God, help that happen today. There are others that need a church home. I pray this would be the day that they say, listen, I want to go to work for the Lord. I want to serve God. I want to be part of a church that's moving forward and not standing still or moving backward. God, have your way. There are others in this place right here that, Lord, there's some daddies that ought to own up to it this morning and be men. Say, the reason my family's in the shape it's in because I've done not what I needed to do. I've been more concerned about making a dollar. I've been more concerned about my own pleasures. I've been more concerned about the worldly things in this life. And today, dear God, have mercy on me. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to teach my family the things of God. I'm going to get back. And Lord, I pray you'll bless my family. God, that can happen in this place today. Let it happen. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?